6. We're going to be there in a second. Genesis 26. So, when I was in fourth grade, we learned about inertia. And I remember this because our fourth grade science teacher had all these cool songs about all the different topics. And inertia, in case you forgot, uh, is the law that states that objects in motion stay in motion and objects at rest stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. So a vase on a table will remain on the table until a child bumps it and it falls on the floor. It was at rest, outside force bumped it, fell on the floor. Or the other way around, uh, if you kick a soccer ball into a goal, it is going to keep going until it hits the goal or the goalie's face or something that would make it stop. So inertia works in the natural world, but it also works in relationships and in life. We know that statistically speaking, if your parents were poor, you will probably also be more likely to be poor. Uh, If you were raised in a really healthy uh, family, then you are more likely to have healthy relationships. And the the inverse is true as well, that uh, dysfunctional families often uh, or can lead to dysfunctional children. Uh, And this is not a a rule. Obviously, there are many uh, times where this is not the case. But there also is a pretty clear pattern that we often follow in the trajectory that our parents led us in, that we, through our, uh, the circumstances of our life and particularly our families, we have a certain direction in life, and we tend to continue that inertia throughout our life. Um, and this is true for, for lots of, of things. You know, we, it can happen for, for good ways and bad ways. In my own life, uh, I had a pretty awesome, uh, my, my family was great, and growing up, it was a, a huge advantage to me to have a family and circumstances the way that they were. And I learned uh, what it is to have a healthy family. I learned a lot of good things, some bad things too, as everyone does. But generally speaking, the hand that I was dealt at birth was a pretty good one. But I'm also aware that there are a lot of people out there who are not like that, people who were raised, uh, and their parents were always fighting, and that was the picture that they had of marriage. Or people whose parents or the society around them as they grew up taught them to hate other people for their religious views, political views, for the color of their skin. Like, there are people who, that's the way that they were raised, and it doesn't make it right, but it makes it real. And we understand that these patterns exist, that we have this inertia. And where this becomes a sermon is that this happens in spiritual things as well. That if we grew up hearing Bible stories, being taught that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, then we're going to have an easier time serving Jesus than people who grew up being filled with lies and hatred. And again, that doesn't make it right for them to continue in sin, to continue that inertia, but it's something that we have to acknowledge. And so this morning, I want to talk about the idea of breaking the cycle. And I've put my outline on the board. It's pretty straightforward. First, 
we're going to talk about the fact that the failures and successes of our parents can have tangible effects in our life. That we can, will often, uh, unless acted upon by an outside force, continue going in the direction that our parents and society led us in, but that there are uh, times when that doesn't happen, that we can and must choose for ourselves to either continue the way that our parents led us, uh, and if that's good, then that's a good choice to make, or we can choose to reject the way that we were raised, and if our parents led us in a good direction, that's not a good choice, but sometimes when we're dealt a really poor hand in life, this is a choice that we have to make, a choice that is necessary, and there's a lot to overcome in that choice to break the cycle, to stop the falling of the dominoes, to make a difference. But it's a choice that can be made, that must be made. So let's start with the first point, that the failures and successes of our parents have a tangible effect on our lives. We're in Genesis 26, uh, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this about Isaac, but Isaac is uh, not a very interesting Bible character. Uh, and I, I say that because Isaac doesn't really do much, uh, like a platypus. Uh, so if you think about the life of Abraham, for example, Abraham in uh, Genesis 12, God puts him in the land of Canaan, but he gets scared because there was a famine. So he leaves and he goes to Egypt. And then he lies about uh, his wife. Later on in chapter 20, Abraham, uh, he goes in the land of the Philistines into Gerar, and he lies to Abimelech about his wife. He says, she is my sister. And then later on in chapter 21, he makes a treaty with Abimelech. And uh, as he's talking to Abimelech, he's like, hey, uh, these herdsmen, and your herdsmen and I are fighting over some wells. So... In chapter 26, we learn about Isaac, uh, and this is really the only chapter where we see Isaac doing stuff. Most of the time, he's a passive character, either as uh, of the fulfillment of Abraham, God's promises to Abraham, or as Jacob's father, to kind of lead there. But in, in chapter 26, he's the main character, but what does he do? Well, it starts out that there was a famine in the land, and God says, don't go to Egypt. So we already see he was thinking about following the footsteps of his father, but God says, no, don't do that. But then he goes to the land of the Philistines. And he goes to the land of the Philistines. He lies to Abimelech about his wife. He says, she is my sister. Again, following in the footsteps of his father. Then he has a quarrel with Abimelech's servants about some wells. And then he makes a, servant, a treaty with Abimelech. Isaac doesn't do anything original. Now, I, I don't think that's true of his entire life. But it is true of the picture we have painted of him in the Bible. That Everything that Isaac does is something that Abraham did. And sometimes that's bad. Like, you can't lie to Abimelech about your wife. But making treaties, I mean, that's like it's a, a neutral thing at worst. So what we see, though, is that Isaac continues doing the things that his father did. He saw that's how you interact with people. That's how you solve problems. And so that's what Isaac did. I'll give you another example. Uh, so it talks about a lot of different kings, but we're going to talk about uh, King Ahaziah. He's the child of Ahab and Jezebel. And what does it say about him? That Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He reigned two years over Israel, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father 
and in the way of his mother. In the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. That Ahaziah grew up watching Ahab, watching Jezebel, watching idolatry, and he said, this is the way to live life. So that's what he did. He followed in the footsteps of his parents. He continued the inertia that they had. He did not break the cycle. I'll give you another example. This is Ammon, uh, the son of Manasseh. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had done. He walked in all the way in which his father had walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. Now, I will admit that this language of walking in the ways or not walking in the ways of your father is pretty stock language with the kings. But these two guys show very specifically that what the father did, that is what the son did. And we will see later on, uh, in fact, even in Manasseh's own life, um, some example, some exceptions to that rule. That's the word I've been looking for all along. Exceptions to that rule. But we have to acknowledge that this seems to be the pattern, that the way you were raised unless acted upon by an outside force, is the, the way you will continue to go. I'll give you another example. The, the children of Israel, uh, specifically as we get to the New Testament, will find that Stephen is talking to them. Stephen is accusing them of the same thing that Jesus was accusing them, actually, of, which is continuing the pattern of their father, persecuting the prophets. But Stephen makes this point about Moses. He says that, God told you he was going to raise up a servant like Moses. Well, what happened to Moses? They said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Which is exactly what they said to Jesus. And then um, they continued, when God raised up prophets later, to persecute the prophets. And this is the the punch of Stephen's sermon. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. He says, this is the pattern. Your fathers killed the prophets. They were getting in the way of God's will, and you guys are continuing to do that. But it's not all bad, because sometimes people have good parents. Sometimes people have good grandparents and good influences, and Timothy is an example. Paul says, I reminded you, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. That Timothy was influenced by his mother, by his grandmother, in a positive direction. And so we see proven here that the failures and the successes of our parents have tangible effects in our life. And for some of us, that works really well. And some of us, that leaves us with stuff that we need to overcome. But in every case, there's some good and some bad. And so each one of us, no matter how good of a childhood you had or how good the society and circumstances of your, your childhood were, there are things you have to overcome, things that you have to break the cycle. And for some people, it's a bigger list than other people. And we can see this, I mean, statistically in our, our life today. Uh, you can talk about the children who are born into poverty are more likely to be involved in crime, certainly more likely to be surrounded by crime, which is not something anyone wants. Uh, alcoholism, if your parents were alcoholic, you're four times more likely to struggle with the same thing. Um, Muslim parents 
80% of their children become Muslims. Pretty similar statistics for Christians as well. And non-believers, the flip side, uh, works about the same way. About two-thirds of children with non-believing parents uh, chose to continue being non-believers, uh, which is also interesting. This, the same statistics for people who had uh, Catholic parents who weren't all that interested in serving the Lord. About two-thirds of them are now unbelievers. And so we see that these, the things that our parents do have great impact on us. The things that we were raised around, the circumstances of our childhood, have tangible effects on our life. And like I said, this isn't a rule. No one is tied into this, but we have to acknowledge that these have real consequences. And as such, that requires of us two things. First, it requires of those of us who had less to overcome some humility. Because as we look around at people and uh, all of the sin that they're embroiled in, then we can get haughty. We can say, oh, you know, I'm so much better than them because I, I never had to worry about that. But we have to realize that we, a lot of us, had a pretty easy existence, a pretty easy way to Christ. And for those of us who, who never had to have these deep struggles to overcome all of these things, then we have to realize that some people are going to have a harder time with other people, than us, and that is going to require patience. We're going to have to give people time and, and bear with some of the things that they're going to have a hard time overcoming, just like we're patient with ourselves when we have a hard time overcoming our own struggles. And so, we have to acknowledge this line, this inertia, that the failures and successes of our parents have tangible effects on our life. But as I said, this is not a hard and fast rule. There are many exceptions. And we will see that, first of all, in the story of the kings of Judah. Turn with me to 2 Kings 16. 2 Kings 16. Here is the story of Ahaz. Now, I know that canonically speaking, Manasseh is said to be the worst king of Judah. Uh, but I, I think Ahaz has got a pretty, pretty close second on that because he does all the same things that Manasseh seems to do, except he doesn't, uh, doesn't get a redemption story. So Ahaz, in 2 Kings 16, we read the first four verses. It says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burnt his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So we can acknowledge, this is a bad dude. And not a good king, very evil, perpetuating all sorts of idolatry and wickedness in the land. He is not the kind of person you would want to have as your father. And yet, uh, if you don't know the story, you'll be very surprised to find out his son is Hezekiah. Hezekiah, who we find out in chapter 18, verses 3 through 6, is one of the best kings. In 2 Kings 18, starting in verse 3, it says, And he, that is Hezekiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. So we see worst king, or maybe second worst king, of of all of Judah, and yet his son is Hezekiah, who there was no king before or after him, which uh, they'll say the same thing about Josiah, so... I don't, I, maybe that's a little bit hyperbole, but still, I mean, Hezekiah is amazing, and yet his father is awful. And so we see in this generation the change that can happen from evil father to amazing son. And we will see the same thing happen in the flip side when Hezekiah has his son Manasseh. In chapter 21, it talks about Manasseh, and it pretty much recaps all the same things that Ahaz did uh, maybe some worse, he, uh, he gets together with some necromancers, so, I mean, that's a strike against him for sure. But anyway, Hezekiah from Ahaz, so Ahaz, terrible king. Hezekiah, amazing king. Manasseh, terrible king. That we are not guaranteed anything. That even if our father is the most terrible person in all of history, that we can still turn out good. We can still make the choice for ourselves. We can still break the cycle. And the same is true, even if your father is the most devout Christian that has ever existed, you have to make the choice. Because Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, was awful for the first most of his life. We are not guaranteed anything. We are not grandfathered into Christianity because of who our parents were or because of the society around us. And we are not bound We are not chained in by our upbringing. We can make a choice to break free, to break out of the cycle. Manasseh, Hezekiah shows us that. And this is not just true with the kings of Israel. It's true in a lot of different passages, and I'll show you just a few others. I want you to think about the story of Ruth. Uh, I am, the more I think about Ruth, the more I am astonished by the faith of Ruth. Let me paint this picture for you in case you have uh, kind of forgotten about Ruth. So Ruth is a Moabite. And uh, so that means her parents, they're not worshipers of Yahweh. Uh, They're in another nation. At best, they've probably heard that the people of Yahweh are doing some really powerful things. Then Ruth meets her husband. And uh, her husband and their whole family, uh, they're Israelites, But they're not good Israelites. I mean, they did the same thing that Abraham did, that they were in the land, the promised land that God gave them, and then a famine happened, and they're like, nope, getting out of here. And so they ran away. They were scared. They were searching for food in another place and abandoned the promised land. So one strike against them. And then on top of that, these guys marry Moabite women, which is expressly forbidden in the law. And then... They die. And all she's left with is her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law is also not a very good Jew. Uh, As she talks to Ruth about her people, she says, effectively, God killed my husband, your husband, he hates me, and now I'm sad. And for some reason, 
that I will never understand. After all of this, Ruth is like, yes, that's the God I want to follow. And I think Ruth shows us she was not a victim of her circumstances. She did not let all of these things, all of these disadvantages keep her away from Christ, that she, or from, from God. She made the choice to overcome her Moabite heritage, her terrible Jewish examples, and to follow God. But Ruth isn't the only person like this. I mean, we can read in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, this is the advice he gives to women whose husbands are not believers. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. He says, even if your husband is terrible, I mean, think uh, Nabal and Abigail, that even then you can overcome those circumstances and you can be a light to him. You can impact those circumstances. You can change yourself and others. Here's another example. Ephesians 5. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That you, doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, all of this past that you are carrying around, that God can make a change. Walk as children of light. You don't have to live there anymore. You don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. You can break the chain. But here's the question. How? What is it that lets Hezekiah be different from his father? What is it that allows Ruth to break free from her circumstances? What is it that allows the people in Ephesians to go from being darkness to light? What is the thing that changes it? Which Jesus. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. I want you to notice that all of these, well, we'll read it first, and then I will, I will make my statement. 1 Corinthians 6, we'll read verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to notice the story. He says, you were once terrible people, homosexuals, revilers, swindlers, drunkards. This is the kind of people you are, but you are not that anymore. And why is it? Why is the change here? Notice in verse 11 that these are not active verbs, but they are passive verbs. You were sanctified. You were cleansed. You didn't do that. You don't get to take credit for this transformation. This is a transformation that happened to you. Let's read it again. Such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That the Holy Spirit, because of the death of Christ, 
transformed us. We were able to break free. There's another passage in Romans 7 that I think explains this well. In Romans 7, Paul talks about his life trying to justify himself, trying to break free from the shackles of sin. He says he couldn't do it. In Romans 7, 18 through 20, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, um, sorry, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says, I want to serve, I want to do the right thing, I want to break free from sin, but my flesh, there's nothing good there, it can't do it. But he says in Galatians, which is, you know, kind of parallel to Romans, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 16, this is right before the fruit of the Spirit. He tells us the answer. He says in Galatians 5, 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says the Spirit is the answer. That For centuries, they were trying to break the cycle by the flesh, by the law. And he says that's not going to work. The Spirit is the answer. So it's like this. Once sin had a death grip on the world. For all of time, up until the point that Jesus broke it, there was not a way to break free. Now, I don't exactly understand the ramifications of this for people like Hezekiah, but this is the, the case that I, I'm pretty confident. Then something changed. Then Jesus changed. And where before, we did not have the power to break out of sin, Jesus and the Spirit, based on the death of Jesus, allows us to do that because there's been a change in government. Let me use what might be kind of a wacky example. Uh, so recently, because we went to the Czech Republic, uh, I've been learning about uh, the effect of the Soviet occupation on Eastern Europe. And it's kind of wild because there were all these people, like really great business people, in the Czech Republic and in these other, uh, well, I guess Czechoslovakia at that point, uh, all these, these countries, and yet they couldn't make money because the government, the communist government, would not, the system would not allow them to break out of their poverty. And yet, once the system changed, once the government moved, they were able to break out. They were able to change. They were able to fight. And we have also gone through a change in government where once in our life we were under our own control, well, sin's control. We were trying by the flesh, under the system of the flesh, under the ownership and the governance of sin to break free from sin, and it wasn't working because we didn't have the power because the system wouldn't allow it. 
And then Jesus came, and he changed the system. Jesus became our ruler. A change in government occurred. And when that happened, Jesus created the circumstances that would allow us to break free. And so here we are. On this side of Jesus, having seen his death, now we are able, not by our own power, but by our own choice, to follow Jesus, to break the cycle by the power of the Spirit working in us. And so the question comes to you. What are you going to do? Because it doesn't matter what you've been raised to believe. It doesn't matter what sorts of things that you have, this baggage that you're carrying around. Because Jesus can take it away. And so while it's true that the failures and successes of our parents have tangible effects on our life, while that is something that we all have to deal with, and as we're spreading the gospel, that's a, a reality that we have to work with. No one is trapped. No one is too broken. No one is too far gone for Jesus to rescue them, for the Spirit to empower them to break the cycle and break free. And so what are you going to do? You've got an inertia. And all the people that you know also have this same sort of inertia. Some good, some bad. And we all have to make the choice. Are we going to continue to go the way we've been? And if that's following the Lord, then yes, we got to make that choice. we got to serve him. we got to make it our own faith. We have to choose to serve God. But if that's not the inertia you were raised with, if instead you were raised with hatred and lies and fear and confusion, you can choose by the power of the Spirit through the death of Christ to make the change, to break the cycle, to not be a victim of your circumstances, but to break free. And so here, in a moment, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. And I hope that as you consider yourself and the people around you and the power that Jesus has to break us free, that you would decide to serve him and that you would decide, as we sang about this morning, to carry his message that sinners Jesus will receive, that he can transform lives, that you would make this a part of your life that you are sharing with other people. And if you've never begun this journey, we would love to accept you. The baptistry is working again. And if you'd like prayers and encouragement, we would love to help you. If you have anything, please come as we stand and sing.